everybody stand up. Don't go anywhere, but just greet somebody next to you. Good, huh? <laughs> this, this is Jameson Lee Jones. And this is his first Sunday at LNBC of what we hope will be many, many Sundays. And my camera's up in the baptistry because we've got some baptisms, and that's going to be exciting here in just a minute. But first, the commercial announcements. Here we go. Are y'all ready? All right. First of all, uh, we have uh, a book signing. Peggy is going to have a book signing this afternoon and reception. This is the 2 o'clock in the fellowship hall. We had scheduled this uh, a few weeks back, and we had to reschedule it. So I uh, hope you come out and see the book sign and hear about uh, the next one as well. Uh, also, the guys and girls uh, weekend, or this weekend, the guys are going to have a meeting, uh, I believe it's uh, right after the service. And also our senior adults, uh, the luncheon is going to start uh, pick back up. So that'll be uh, tomorrow at 11.30. And Roast with all the trimmings featuring the Just That, all right? And Brother Balls will be speaking as well. So looking forward to a great time of fellowship. Lots of other uh, announcements in there. There's some showers and some other information. I hope you'll look at uh, all of that. Thank you, Sam. Leland is my good friend, and I miss him so much in my class. He's in the sixth grade. 
uh, we're just proud of him, and um, if you're excited about that, say amen. Amen. Well, Leland, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Well, then I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Leland's not alone this morning because his mom and his dad, too, are both following the Lord in baptism. So we get to celebrate this moment not just with Leland but with their whole family today. This is Megan Alexander. Megan, do you know the Lord as your Savior? I do. Then I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. keep going on. That's great. Are you, let me ask you something. Do you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior this morning? Well, then you have a reason to stand up and proclaim it as well. Let's stand together. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord.
children in heaven, we're here to praise you. We're here to lift you up. We are your children. We believe in Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we're here just to, just to say thank you to you, to draw glory to you, draw attention to you. Let you be the total focal point of everything we're doing here this morning. May you be glorified. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We'll sing about our great Savior.
shining bracelet, Father. We thank you so much for your many wonderful blessings. You truly are a blessing, Father, to us all. We thank you so much. We're here today to proclaim our love to you. Dear Lord, we love you. We praise you once in name. We praise you through this service today, knowing that you're in our presence, that your word is presented, that today's people are drawn closer to Jesus and saved their souls. We ask this all in the blessed name of Jesus. And we say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
have your Bibles or your devices, you can open to Genesis 39. That's going to be our jump-off point today, Genesis chapter 39, right where we left off last week. And um, Kids did a good job. I, you know, the Bible says that we're to lift each other up, we're to encourage one another, to build up, to edify one another in the Lord. And, um, we usually don't do this, but I want to brag on a kid today. I want to brag on Brian Nenier. You know, that kid, um, a lot of you probably wouldn't notice it, but we have a, a special relationship. Brian spends a lot of time around our house, and um, I've quietly watched this kid this through the summer and into this school year play football, go to school and keep his grades up, play in the marching band, work a job at Sonic then help lead and be a part of this teen praise band. His work ethic is incredible. And uh, I just I just want to publicly say what a great young man I think you are, Brian. I love you. <laughs> Genesis 39. So um, I, I, I want to share this quick story, too, and then we'll jump into it. Because, you know, the moments in life, these, these moments, these these um, these instances that become those steel frames in our mind are so important in life. You know, uh, uh, watching five people get baptized this morning, I'll always remember that. You know, the Alexander family and and uh, and, and, and Hunter and and uh, and Emily. Um, what, what a what a great moment! What a, what a special moment! Uh, but what you didn't get to see was the moment that happened right after, because Leland uh, was baptized first, and that means he was the first one to to head down the stairs and back into one of the rooms where he was changing. And he strategically waited behind the door until his dad came down as well, to which he popped out from behind the door and snapped his dad with the towel, and he got him good. <laughs> you got to love those, those great moments like that in life. Because God, he, it's moments like that when God really smiles at us. And uh, to, if, if you're visiting with us today and you haven't been here for the last few weeks, I want to set up where we've been in this story of Joseph, and then we're going to jump into the message today, but we've been talking about the life of Joseph, and typically when you hear the story of Joseph, you, you focus in on the early part of his life, how he was his daddy's favorite, and everybody knows if you, if you went to vacation Bible school as a kid or, or, or something and you saw the old flannel graph, we know about Joseph and his coat of many colors. What we don't often talk about is how much heartache that coat of many colors brought to Joseph's life. But before he was redeemed by God and God fulfilled his purpose in Joseph's life. And so two weeks ago, as we started out the, the, the series, we talked about how Joseph was, uh, was envied to the point of hatred by his brothers, and they even wanted him dead. And what his brothers did is they threw him in a pit to kill him. And we talked about the pit. We talked about Joseph's pit, and we talked about how many times in our own lives we experience the pits. But Joseph, even though he found himself in that pit, uh, God still had a plan for him, and in the pit, God still loved him, God was with him, and God still had this great plan for him, and his brothers, instead of leaving him for dead, they did take him out of the pit, only to sell him into slavery, uh, and Joseph was taken by these Ishmaelite traders down to Egypt, where he was sold as a slave to the commander over all of the armies of, Idri uh, of Egypt, a guy named Potiphar. Joseph was sold uh, to Potiphar, and he became a slave to Potiphar. And last week we talked about how there are things and times and events in our life that tend to 
enslave us. And we looked at the narrative of Joseph's slavery, and we compared that to some of the things that we deal with in our own life. And so Joseph went from the pit to slavery, and here we are in the third week of the series, and you say, man, it's, it's got to get better for Joseph. <laughs> and I want you to know that it doesn't get that much better this week either. Now, there'll be some redemption coming, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. But where we're going to pick up today in Genesis chapter 39 is the back end of his slavery, which led him into captivity, into prison. But through this whole events, circumstances, things that Joseph dealt with, the truth of God never changed. And our big idea that we've been talking about hasn't changed at all. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, hopefully you've memorized this by now. But if not, it's going to be right here on the screen. And why don't we all just say it together and remind ourselves, God loves me, is always with me, and has greater plans for me. This was true for Joseph. It was true in his life. God loved him through it all. And God was with him in the pit. God was with him in, the, uh, in slavery. And God will be with him in the prison. And God still had a great plan. The dream that he gave to Joseph early in his life, God still sought to fulfill through his life on the back end of the story. And we'll see that carry out today and over the next couple of weeks. Now, Joseph, when we left off last week, he was in Potiphar's house. And he did everything right. And Potiphar uh, appreciated and respected Joseph so much that he elevated him from this level uh, of a slave to the top servant in his home. And he put everything under Joseph's control. He said, Joseph, you are my personal administrator. You are my personal assistant. And Joseph's job was to care for and to look after and run this household that Potiphar had. Now, this wasn't a household like maybe you or I would think of today. But Potiphar, because of his position and because of the culture at that time, this was probably an empire that Joseph was working. It was probably a home where there was, uh, where there was a lot of dynamics. It, we, we would think of it like a working ranch and uh, with, with multiple uh, uh, people who were indentured to Potiphar as slaves or servants. And there was a lot to do, and Joseph was running all of this. Now, I do want to ask you a question because... Two weeks ago when we introed this story, we talked about the pit, and we talked about how when we're in a pit in our life, there's two things that we experience in a pit. It's loneliness and doubt. And, and we talked about how if you're going to be a leader, what are two emotions that people who lead experience often? Loneliness and doubt. So God was preparing Joseph, even in the pit. Now he finds himself in the home of the commander of the leader of Egypt. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're going to be second in command of an entire nation, it probably stands to reason that you need a little bit of military knowledge. Here was Joseph as he was enslaved in Potiphar's house over everything, but even though God had put him in this place that we wouldn't look at as a good place, we wouldn't look at his, his being enslaved as a good thing, yet... God was using it to prepare Joseph for, some, for something more. We talked about the predicament he got himself into with Mrs. Potiphar last week. She found him to be very handsome and very well built. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that that's who he was. He was handsome and he was well built. And when we pick up the story in chapter 39, verse 12, we see how this lust that Miss Potiphar had for Joseph, uh, how it explodes into this tense situation. Let's read together. Genesis 39, starting in verse 12. It says that she came 
and she grabbed him by his cloak. This was his robe that he wore, cloak or robe. Now, by the way, what did Joseph have stripped from him when he was thrown into the pit? His robe, right? His coat, his cloak. Now, what did Joseph have stripped from him at Potiphar's? His robe, his cloak, his clothing. Keep that in mind as we continue through the series. So she comes, and the Bible says that she, um, that she grabs him uh, by his cloak, and she demands, come on, sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Verse 13 says, when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to his servants, to her servants, and, this, and soon all the men came running. And then she, she makes up this terrible lie. She says, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. Now, was this a true account of the events that happened? Not at all. Not only was Mrs. Potiphar a pushy girl, but she was also a trifling lying girl, too. And she makes up this terrible lie. Here was Joseph doing everything right. Joseph fled the situation. As a matter of fact, he told her the first time that she made an advance at him, he said, I can't do this. Number one, because Potiphar has kept nothing from me but you. But number two, because it would be a sin against my God. That's what Joseph told her. And now as Joseph continues to do things right, he finds himself in an even worse situation. I want you to know this because we get into this mindset of karma sometimes in life where we think that if we do everything right, then good stuff will happen. But if we do everything bad, then bad stuff will happen. And I do understand that there is a principle of, of reaping what we sow that we understand. But we also have to realize that sometimes in the course of God's greater plan, we will experience things that are not necessarily of our own making. That sometimes the valleys that we find ourselves in, the pits that we find ourselves in, the enslavement that we find ourselves in, even the prisons that, we, that seem to, to capture us in our lives sometimes, sometimes they are not of our making. Sometimes we can do everything right. We can be brother of the year. We can be slave of the year. We can be prisoner of the year. And we will still find ourselves in a valley. It's just a fact. And we tend to beat ourselves up. And instead of asking God what he's doing in the midst of it, we start questioning God. We start questioning our own motives and our own life. And we don't understand things. I want you to look at Joseph's story as an example and understand that Joseph had done everything right. Yet he finds himself in a place where he is falsely accused of a terrible, terrible crime. She labels him a rapist. Verse 16. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home, until Potiphar returns. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside and he left his cloak with me. She lies to her husband and she tells him the same story, that he had tried to rape her. Now, Potiphar had no qualms about healing, killing a fool, right? Because this guy, he was the commander of the armies of Egypt. 
Killing flesh was nothing new to Potiphar. Doling out punishment was nothing new to Potiphar. And, and notice what happens in verse 19. It says, Potiphar was furious. Let me tell you something right now. 4,000 years ago, in ancient Egypt, the most powerful nation on the earth during that time, if there was one person on the face of the earth that you did not want mad at you, it was the commander of all the armies of Egypt. And this is the guy who is now furious at Joseph. When he heard his wife's story about how Joseph treated her, he was furious. Verse 20. So he took Joseph and he threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held and there he remained. Now, why he didn't just kill him? The sovereignty of God, I believe. But instead of killing him, he throws him into a prison. Now, I don't know about you, but I would estimate that an Egyptian prison, say... 4,000 years ago was probably not the most desirable place to be. Yet he gets thrown into this prison. I mean, this is week three of this sermon series. This has been, we're talking about several years into Joseph's life at this point, and you got to start feeling a little, little sorry for old Joe. He did what was right, and he gets thrown into a prison. But have you ever thought for a minute that maybe, maybe God threw Joseph into that prison to protect him from him, Potiphar? Maybe God threw him into that prison to protect him from her, Mrs. Potiphar. Sometimes we find ourselves in these places of captivity, and we don't understand that in the midst of that, maybe it's not punishment that God's bringing to us. Maybe it's protection. Maybe it's God's way of protecting us even in the valleys we find ourselves in. And if you're keeping notes, that's, that's what I want us to, to, to think about today, that God puts us in a prison not to punish us, but to protect us. That we could be going through things in our life, that we could find ourselves in situations where we feel like we're, our freedom has been taken, where we feel like we are captive, where we feel like we are imprisoned, yet in the midst of that place, God's up to something. God's trying to get us somewhere. God is, God is trying to protect us. And I want us, um, and, and I'm sorry I didn't put this slide back in, but can we back up just a second back into verse 20? Because there's something in verse 20 I want you to notice. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph, and he took him, and he threw him into the prison where, who was there? The king's prisoners. I mean, of all the prisons, right? God orchestrates this situation where he is from the pit and he's sold into slavery, not to an ordinary man, but the commander of all the armies of Israel. Which means that when Joseph gets thrown into prison, he's not thrown into some ordinary prison, but he's thrown into a political prison. He's thrown into the king's dungeon. He finds himself in the national capital of the most powerful nation on earth in the prison. And this is all part of God's plan. God's got a, he's got a, a plan in it all. And he throws him in this, this king's prison. Because it was God's plan that he would become this political leader. He would become this one who was 
in a significant role in Egypt, and we'll read about that next week, but this was all part of God's plan. But yet, here he is, and, and by the way, for seven years, Joseph was in that place. For seven years. He got thrown in that prison, and he spent seven years there. Now, for you or I who have gone through these times in our life, it seems like it doesn't take but a few days or maybe a few weeks before we feel like our captivity is never going to end. Sometimes it goes on longer than that. Sometimes for us, we can say, oh, I know what a seven-year prison is like. That there's been maybe something in your life, a relationship or a health situation or a job or whatever it may be, where you can look at that and go, man, I feel like I've been in that same place. But for seven years, Joseph found himself living day to day in that political prison. But where he was is he was in a place where God was preparing him. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. Because God is always with me, right? He loves me and he is always with me and he has greater plans for me. And the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and he showed him his unfaithful love. Which, by the way, I, I love this because, because God, not only was God uh, not just with him, but through the whole process, God continued to show Joseph how much he loved him. And God demonstrated his love to him. Joseph didn't doubt it. It says that he showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Now, Joseph lived in his father Israel's household, right? And he became the what? The favorite. And then Joseph finds himself sold as a slave to Potiphar, where he becomes Potiphar's favorite. And now Joseph finds himself in the prison where he becomes the prison warden's favorite. Are you starting to see a correlation here? I mean, this guy Joseph, it wasn't coincidence that his dad had so much adoration for him. It wasn't a coincidence that Potiphar found so much favor in him. It wasn't a coincidence that the prison warden saw so much in him because this is just who Joseph was. He did things right. He knocked it out of the park. And people in leadership know leaders. And that's what happens here. And before long, the warden said, I'm going to put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. Joseph was head trustee. He went from favorite brother to slave of the year to head trustee. Joseph, everywhere he stepped, the favor of God was on him. And I could preach a whole other series on the favor of God. It ain't fair. It doesn't make sense. But some people get God's favor and some don't. And that's just God's choice, and that's God's sovereignty, and we just have to accept it. But Joseph just had something about him. God's favor was on him, and part of it was his faithfulness and his obedience to God through it all. And as a result of that, God keeps elevating him in every place he is, which will eventually, we'll read next week, elevated him to a place of prominence with the king, with Pharaoh. So Joseph goes from slave of the year to prisoner of the year. Verse 23, the warden had no more worries this guy was sleeping good at night because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. By the way, we're going to learn next week that that's the exact same experience that Pharaoh had with Joseph too. He didn't have to worry. Akuna Matata for the rest of your days. You know why Joseph knocked it out? And by the way, you know what we're going to learn last uh, next week? One of the reasons that Joseph was so successful when he became the second in command of all of Egypt 
Here's why. It's right here. Because success is found in the journey. So many of us think that our success is found in the destination. But I can tell you right now, when the journey is flawed, the destination doesn't have the same pop to it. A few years ago, well, a few years ago, almost nine years ago, almost ten, uh, it was our first year here at Longview. My wife and I, we love Colorado, as, as do you and any of you that have spent much time out there. And we decided it was time to load up the kids and teach them how to snow ski. Micah was in kindergarten. Bethany was in the third grade. It was the worst trip we've ever had. <laughs> worst vacation we've ever been on. And the reason is because the night before we left, the whole family was loading up, the whole Taylor family, uh, Erica's family, her mom and dad, her brother and his wife, uh, you know, uh, my niece, their, their daughter, Roger and Sheila, me, Erica, Micah, Bethany, we were all about to load up and head out and do this big journey, this big trip. And we were so excited until about 2 o'clock in the morning. And Micah woke up vomiting. He was sick, sick kid before we even leave. So everybody got up about 6 a.m. and they hit the road without us. And we said, hey, we will meet. By the way, we were in central Arkansas. We said, we'll meet you in Colorado. We'll get there eventually. So we got Micah some medicine. I think we called in a prescription, picked it up. We had to wait on the pharmacy to open in Benton, Arkansas. And we finally, late that day, we get on the road. We got Micah in the back with a five-gallon bucket. And here we go. We get, we get almost to Fort Smith, Arkansas, which is only like a couple of hours into the trip. And I stopped. We used the bathroom. Michael was doing okay. So I got me a bottle of water. I took a sip of that bottle of water, and when it hit my stomach, I knew something wasn't good. And whatever he had, I had. Bad. Erica's still shaking her head down here on the front. Bethany got it, too. We ended up not even making it to Colorado that night. We spent the night in Kansas. We barely made it in the next day. It was terrible. It just set the trip bad in the first place. And I learned that lesson. I mean, it, when the journey's bad, the destination loses its pop. When the journey's bad, it, it doesn't matter where you're going. It just, there's something about it. But when the journey's good, the destination is wonderful. And I'm just a journey person. I've talked about it before, but success is found in the journey. And the same is true in your life. So many of us have dreams. We have places we want to be. We have destinations we want to go. And we look at our life and we say, man, if I only arrive there, if I can only save this much for retirement, or if I can only get this promotion, or if I can only get this education, or if I can just have this person accept me or look at me, or if I can only get this kind of title by my name or this promotion, whatever it is, we look at the destination and we think that that's the end, that's the goal, and we forget about the journey today. Joseph got where he was going because of the pit, because of Potiphar's, because of the prison. But what it was is he knocked it out in every step of the journey. And that's why the destination was so sweet when he got there. And when you understand this principle, it will unlock so much more joy in your life. When you learn to make the most of the journey. Every step of the way. The hard times. The difficult things. The work. The struggle. The grind. Appreciate the grind because it's what gets you there. And you got to grow where you're planted. So as the story continues, uh, Joseph, and we're about to wrap this up pretty shortly, but I, I want you to see a couple of things before our musicians come. As the story continues, one day, and by the way, I know the Cowboys play at noon, so y'all bear with me. We'll get you out of here. They won last week, so you know they're not going to win this week. It's just, just science. So the story continues. 
one day, two guys joined Joseph in the prison. There was this guy that was Pharaoh's cupbearer, and there was this guy that was Pharaoh's baker. And Joseph, during this time, he was going around, and he was checking on his guys in the prison because he was the head trustee. And the guys were like, we had these dreams last night. So he tells them about their dreams, and one of them was like, yeah, it had to do with these grapes and me feeding these grapes to Pharaoh. And the other one talks about this bread and these birds coming and landing on the basket. And he said, we, we, so what do you think? And Joseph said, hey, I can interpret your dream. And so he tells them, he says, so you, cupbearer, in three days, you're out of here, man. You're getting your job back. They're going to realize you're innocent and you're going to get your job back as the cupbearer for Pharaoh. By the way, the cupbearer had the worst job in the kingdom. You know what the cupbearer did? He took the cup of Pharaoh and he had to drink whatever was in it before he presented it to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh would wait and see if he choked and died. And then he would know that somebody had poisoned the cup. And then he wouldn't drink it. That was his job was to test the food before the Pharaoh ate the food to make sure the food wasn't contaminated. That's a terrible job. You can't succeed at it. You can only fail at it. <laughs> but he tells him, he says, you're going to get your job back. And then he tells the baker, he said, well, i got good news and bad news for you. The good news is you're getting out of here in three days, too. The bad news is they're going to kill you. You're, go, you're, you're getting the death sentence. And all of this happened just as Joseph told him. And Joseph, as this all takes place, he tells his friend, the cupbearer, he says, hey, when you get before Pharaoh, remember me. Don't forget about me. Don't forget to tell him about me. It all happens just like Joseph said. But look at chapter 40 if you want to turn a page. And we're going to look at one verse, verse 23. We'll pick up here next week. It says, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph. Never giving him another thought. He was thrown in a pit. We've experienced pits in our life. He was enslaved. We've experienced slavery. He was thrown into a prison. Some of us feel captive. And then you know what? He was even forgotten. And sometimes some of us just feel like we've been forgotten. Even when we're in a good place, we feel forgotten. We say things like, God doesn't care about me. And that may be you today. You may say, man, God, I, I feel like I'm in a pit or I feel like I'm in a prison or I feel like I'm enslaved. God, I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like the world has forgotten me. And here's what I want you to just listen to and think about for just a second. If you're here today and you feel forgotten by God, then why does he have you at church today? Why, why, did, he, why did he bring you here to hear this message because he wants you to know that you're not forgotten. And if there's nothing else I say today for somebody here, this might be it. Are you ready? You are not forgotten. God loves you. He is with you. And he has greater plans for you. Today you are not forgotten. And maybe, just maybe, he's got you here because God isn't trying to punish you. And God hadn't forgotten you. Maybe God is pursuing you. So as our musicians come, I want you to contemplate that thought for just a second. That God could be pursuing you. That that's why you're here. Now look, Joseph, <laughs> Joseph went through a lot. I mean, here's the pit. And he gets thrown into this pit just simply because his daddy had an, a deep affection for him. That's it. And his brother's jealousy. Nothing he did. It's because of what they did. 
And then as he's in that pit thinking he's going to starve and die, a rope drops down in that pit. And he thinks, oh, this is it. I'm getting out of here. Somebody's going to save me. Only to find out that it was his brothers who dragged him out of that pit, chained him up, sold him to some, some slave traders. And then they march him behind their caravan from Israel all the way to Egypt, which, by the way, was a very long walk across a very hot desert. They march him to Egypt, and they sell him to Potiphar. Joseph finds himself enslaved, but you know what? He does everything right. And through this process, he finds his place of prominence in Potiphar's estate. And when Joseph feels like he's finally getting some footing and everything's going right, he's falsely accused and thrown into a prison. Yet, he continues to do right, and he's elevated to this place of prominence in that prison. And finally, as he interprets the cupbearer's dream, he says, hey, don't forget about me. Tell Pharaoh about me. Tell him, tell him I'm an innocent man. Tell him I'm falsely accused. Tell him what's going on here, and he gets forgotten. That could be you today. And I want you to know, the next two weeks, this story takes a beautiful turn. And God does some amazing things through these circumstances to not only save Joseph, but to save two nations through Joseph. He single-handedly brings the solution that saves two nations, and possibly even more because Egypt became the breadbasket for the whole region. It's an amazing story. And I don't know what God's trying to do through you and for you, but this big idea is still true. God loves me. He's always with me, and he's got greater plans for me. And that's true for you, too. So let God speak to your heart today. Listen to his word and respond as he would have you to respond. Let's stand together. This is your